Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 3 of the I Can't Explain podcast. For this episode, we're going to discuss the role of academies associated with professional football clubs and specifically investigate some of the topical issues associated with a 9 to 18's age group. To help me do this, I'm delighted to welcome Pete Lowe. Pete has a wealth of experience around football academies and youth players, having been Director of Youth Development at Oldham Athletic for eight years and Head of Education and Performance Management at Manchester City for 13. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on to the I Can't Explain podcast, Pete. Absolutely great to see you. You're welcome, Alan. Anytime, mate. Um, first of all, Pete, what we usually do is just ask the sort of the uh, the guest if you can just provide us like with a bit of a brief overview on your journey into the game and what you've been up to, etc., etc. Journey into the game. It was a long journey, Alan. Where do we start, mate? Yeah. I mean, millions of years ago, I was a teacher, and it mm. does seem like millions of years ago now, to be honest with you. And uh, I found myself. Uh, making my way into professional football on almost on a part-time basis. With Jim Castle, who used to be uh, the academy manager at uh, Manchester City and youth development officer previously at Oldham, at, at Oldham Athletic. Um, I went to work with Jim on a, originally on a part-time basis and um, him, Jim and I became very good friends, really. Um, more than that, to be quite honest, and a great colleague and mm-hmm. certainly one of the most talented people I ever worked with yeah, in the game, yeah. a real gentleman in, in what is a difficult game. <clears throat> and from there I found myself in full time I made the decision to leave teaching mm. went into football full time and um, had a good career so um, I did various jobs I was uh, if you like uh, originally the Centre of Excellence Director at, um, at Oldham Athletic in the days prior to the academy's sure, commencing yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then it became Director of Youth then I went, went down to City and became Head of Education then they changed that title of head to Head of Education and performance management still don't really quite understand the title for Monish of the Allen but there we are it's a long one um, but what's in a title Mm -hmm. Um, and I was a coach as well Mm -hmm. so um, I had a a kind of equal split really if in the end between the the two roles if you like in terms of time so um, but I was basically a member of the academy staff at City great stuff so what we'll do, Pete, we'll, we'll kind of splinter this into sort of some different areas. Yeah, yeah, so, by all means. so what we'll do is the first sort of thing I'd like to ask you is, is what are your thoughts on the current academy system? I've been asked that question, Alan. Now, I don't know many times, mate. I wish I'd had a fiver for every time <laughs> I've been asked it and for the answers that I actually gave. And I think, and each time that I answer it, I say something different. Um, when I was first involved in it, and the academy started um, under what was then Howard Wilkinson and when he was working for the FA and uh, the Charter for Quality as it was as it was written as then etc obviously it, it was not intended to become as big as it's actually become yeah yeah you know the original intention for the academies was literally to only be mm. I don't know what a 10 or a dozen or whatever it might be they were going to re- replace what was then the Lillishall system and the potential you know for the the national schools that were going to be around the country so to speak but it's become big become very very big Um, it's become a place now where we take kids of five years of age into junior academies and and what have you and I really struggle with that yeah yeah I was just going to say to you there Pete is 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 there a case here to argue too much too young yeah absolutely Mm. no question about that I mean one of the big ironies and I I simply don't understand this Alan I've said this on, on numerous occasions the restrictions when boys become nine years of age and can sign full time at academies 
you know how far they can travel an hour and a half and an hour eventually yeah, yeah. at certain age levels etc yeah. and then and then yet it, when they play games at weekend we can go from uh, Manchester to Newcastle mm. a three hour journey there sure, and a three yeah. hour journey back which is essentially all day out for the for a child and a parent and yet only travel an hour and an hour and a half for training sessions beats the living daylights out of me if I'm bluntly honest yeah, with you yeah, yeah. <coughs> but then you have <coughs> excuse me Alan <coughs> yeah, no worries. what is a dichotomy for me in terms of a mindset and thinking is that players at junior academies can go to as many junior academies as they want during yeah, the course of the yeah, week yeah. they have to register as such that they've attended that academy but they're not registered as a player at that academy mm-hmm. and yet they can attend as many times as they want during the week mm-hmm. yeah. at five and six and seven years of age yeah, yeah. I mean I don't get that no, no. I mean I simply don't understand that yeah, yeah. so who, who's driving this piece? is it the club's <clears> ideas <throat> or where is this kind of culture emerged from is it have, have we tried have we replicated dutch models or spanish models what's the obsession with five six and seven year olds co- coming in and around football academies it's a great question that you ask alan and where it's actually originated from i don't know i absolutely do think that um there is no question that the dutch influence how they you know produced yeah. players some years ago perhaps not now i don't know now but mm-hmm. certainly years ago has absolutely influenced the concept mm. conception of academies and the development of them but the irony was some years ago uh, when i was still a, a member of a football staff at a big football club yeah, yeah. i actually visited with another another member of staff yeah. um three german clubs yeah. and one of them was schalke football club okay and uh, they were showing showing me on the day that all the details that they had for what was their elite player performance program which had been in concept or a development if you like for about a year yeah they hated it mm. they saw it as nothing but box ticking and goodness knows what etc yeah. etc and lo and behold not long after that we had the elite player performance program came yeah. in yeah um and I, i've got to be honest with you i've got to say to you i'm really critical of this yeah i've heard senior members of staff from uh, and I've seen documentation from senior members of staff at um, one of the major governing bodies turning around and saying it's to ensure that clubs have policies and procedures in place and yet another member of staff from the Premier League opened a conference up by saying the elite player performance programme is all about ensuring that we create more and better homegrown players Mm -hmm. for Premier League clubs there's a real dichotomy there, by the way, between yeah. mindsets of what is right and, and what, what is one and the other. Either it is about policies and procedures, yeah. or they genuinely believe that the elite player performance programme will be responsible for creating more and better homegrown players. Mm. Well, I've never known an Audi ever create a footballer. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, you know, but I have equally have a problem with that bit as well. Yeah, sure. It's, you know, people help, yeah. Uh, yeah. people and mindsets. and cultures will create footballers Mm -hmm. and if you look at the great player development clubs over the years Man U, Liverpool, Mm -hmm. West Ham United under Tony Card, Mm -hmm. Manchester City under Jim Castle, uh, Manchester United under Les Kershaw, Liverpool Football Club under Steve Highway, Arsenal Football Club to to a degree under under Liam Brady and they created players and Mm -hmm. certainly of that group of clubs that I've talked about there are certain clubs in there that created numerous players Mm -hmm. right culture preceded everything yeah. about that culture precedes results as a great Bill Walsh once said yeah. from the San Francisco 49ers so yeah, yeah. unless we get that right yeah yeah so what, what fascinates me Peter at the moment is like 
you almost <coughs> it's like football clubs are petrified and missing <coughs> something and you, no question and, and you'll hear you'll hear things like a club's got an academy side yeah then they've got a development side yeah. then they've got a pre-development yeah. side then they've got yeah. a community side yeah. and you're thinking there's just thousands of youngsters in this system at the moment that sort of getting getting sold almost unreal dreams in a way or once again you know rather than a question it's a brilliant comment that one <clears throat> under the old schoolboy system before the academies came in you were allowed to register x number of players on what they used to call as you well recall mm. you'd have been one alan yes, on schoolboy yes. phones sure, yeah, you yeah, know yeah um so you'll remember that well and then yeah. the academies come in and once again there was a limited number of players per age group now the number of players per age group is really large by the way that number of players can't play in in teams on a weekly basis and those players are registered to those clubs I don't perceive that as the club's fault Mm -hmm. I perceive that as the fault of the governing bodies who are responsible for the development of the game one of the problems that we've got with the national game in my opinion by the way and it's a conversation that I've had with many many people from football and a lot of people um, we've shared the same views on this is that we have in football, three governing bodies. We have a football association that are responsible for grassroots games, safeguarding, etc. We have a Premier League who call themselves a governing body who are responsible for 20 clubs, but the 20 clubs own the Premier League. Sure, yeah. Is that what a governing body is, by the way? Yeah. And then we have a football league that's responsible for 72 other football clubs. Yeah. So we have three governing bodies responsible for bits of football development in this country. And yet nobody, it seems to me, accepts responsibility for the whole development of the game, per se. It's a great point. And Germany had exactly the same problem. Mm -hmm. And they crashed and burned in the European Championships of 2000 at national level. And at national level, they got involved through Matthias Zammer, who was then government-based, if you like, and he was, if you like, told, can we try and sort this out? And the Bundesliga gave way to the development of the German Federation. They now run German football. Sure, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely right. How much better have they been doing at yeah, national level than yeah, we have? They're coming back to themselves again, aren't and they? And yet we have three governing bodies, and I don't understand that. Yeah. So, obviously, the, what we'll try and do, like I say, is we'll, <coughs> we'll try and get into sort of the nitty-gritty yeah. of some of the other areas here. But I think what I'd first just to start off with is, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want this pod, uh, podcast to be sort of in a, you know, no, in, no. In, in, in really negative because I'm sure absolutely there are. some so, great things happening. Yeah, so so if we start on that, well, you know, what what would the what would you say, Pete, is the positives to the academy system for for a young player entering into it? Well, it's really it's really structured the development of coaching. There is no question about that, and it's brought people into the game with fresh ideas and new ideas, and that has to be good for the game. It's brought people into the game who just not necessarily are ex-players, if you like who want to become coaches and stuff, but that's given them another journey back into the game. So, if you like, another uh, potential career pathway for them. It's given pathways for people who haven't been players to come into the game. They bring new ideas, different styles, different ways of working. Um, It's really structured the development of recruitment. There's no question about that. And it's made, which I think is a really very positive thing here, uh, the game... Uh, to accept its responsibilities to young people and to parents in in that respect. I don't think that they all get it right, by the way, but Mm. there's some great work going on at some clubs. Mm -hmm. There's some really great work going on at some clubs, and some do it infinitely better than others. But that's the case in everything in life, you know, whether it be a business or not. So I think there's some really good positives to... um, 
you know, to, to club development. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the topics I'd just like to go into now, it's like this is what I'm quite passionate about because obviously I've had experience of it, my son's had experience, I've seen people around me have had experience of it. And that is the nature of deselection. Yeah. You know, just for the listeners, deselection is kind of when you get to the end of, say, an under-13 season and you get called in with your parents and, and the club says to you, you know, sadly, we're not going to take you into the into the sort of the, the next yeah. season. So <clears throat> do, you, do you find that is a particular problem in relation to if a young kid, say, at Man City or United has been there for three or four seasons from sort of 9 to 13 and they say we're not going to go into 14... Have you, have you found that that causes difficulties with that kid going back into grassroots then or, or do they have you found any youngsters or saying I don't want to play anymore after this or? oh no question look the, the, uh, uh, since I came out of the game I've had loads of people come on to me regularly come on to me can help with this can help with that etc and there's a whole proliferate of, of um, uh, emotional traumas if you like to some degree that a young person's going to go through I mean first and foremost Alan there's no easy way of telling a young person that he doesn't have a career at that football club sure, okay yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's not to say that because he's been told by that club that he doesn't have a career in football yeah. so many of them go on to have careers in football sure, yeah, yeah. but the numbers that actually make the professional game now are, are, are so much less than they previously used to be Probably because the fact that we have a lot more foreign players coming into the game and therefore the market's getting smaller, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So there's no easy way to tell a young player that his uh, career at that club is going to come to an end. With all due respect, that's cataclysmic for him. And that's, yeah. you know, his world has fallen in overnight. Sure. But there's, there are better, sometimes clubs do it, if you like, better than others. You get warning signs with a player whether or clearly he's going to be good enough to actually maintain... Uh, progression at the club where he's actually at and, and if he isn't going to do that then it is the responsibility of the club to line that up with the player and his parents that he's not going to progress okay so when he gets told the big words if you like I'm sorry son but you, there's no career here it's not as catastrophic as it ordinarily would have been he's being prepared for such when it becomes unbelievably catastrophic is that actually when he is of the belief that he's doing okay because at reports nights and parents evenings and stuff when you hear phrases like son you're doing actually quite well i don't know what quite well means by the way yeah, but you're doing yeah. quite well yeah and actually all of a sudden only three months later somebody turns around to him and says i'm sorry but we're releasing you that's not reflective of doing quite well mm -hmm. so there is a place where what we have to do is ensure that people have the people skills the appropriate people skills to prepare themselves to prepare young people that actually they're not really doing that well and that there is a need to be honest with them yeah, yeah. and that honesty can only be delivered via integrity sure, sure. and that's a personal integrity factor and I think the way in which you should look at that is that how would you feel if that was your child mm. how would you want that to be delivered to your child yeah, there is yeah. no easy way no. Um, so this deselection process, you know, it really depends on the quality and the way in which a club will operate um, and the skills of the people inside of the clubs to be able to deliver what is a really hard message to a young person. Yeah. So I almost see it, Pete, sort of as like a, it's like a sort of a, almost like a triangle going to a tip, yeah. isn't it, where you, you think of the base of the triangle, you've got like hundreds and hundreds of youngsters in there and it, and it gets harder every season and... And I, I don't know if you've heard anything like this. I mean, this is just from, from parents that have told me, but they've almost like football league clubs have been sending text messages to, 
to parents to oh, say, like, yeah, don't you know, don't come back next season. You're kind of thinking, if you tell me something eye to eye, face to face, I can appreciate that a lot more than a, a cold message arriving okay. on my phone. Or... So a player that was at a football club, true story, player that was at a football club for 10, 11, 12 years or whatever it might be, eventually played a, n- a numerous numbers of games in the club's development sides, the under 23s as it is now, it was under 21s probably at the time. Um, given 10 to 12 years of service to this particular club, a Premier League club, and the academy manager stopped the young boy on a car park and turned around to him and said, uh, I'll call him John if that's okay, yeah. turned around and said, John, uh, oh by the way, um, you won't be getting a new contract, you can clear your locker out now, don't bother coming in tomorrow. Now, if anybody can think that, with all due respect, that that's appropriate, that beats the living daylights out of me. Now, you know, that boy at the time was uh, about 20 years of age, uh, 19, 20 years of age, whatever it might be. And at 20 years of age, he is more emotionally and mentally capable, stable, if you like, of dealing with something like that than a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy. But that boy's world fell apart overnight. And that was delivered by no less than the academy manager, who apparently had all the skills to be able to do that job. That yeah. can't be right. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know what? Not all clubs do that, Alan. They just yeah. don't. But some do it magnificently well, you know, and they do it with real yeah, humility of and real, you know, uh, a degree, real great deal uh, of humanity about them and thought and processes. Sure. But yes, I've heard about text message. I've heard about letters received in post and stuff. Yeah, that just can't be right. No, it's something that needs looking at. But you don't like from a, from a general perspective that to see, like you say, there's no right or wrong way to do no, it. No, there isn't. It's just a, what sort of felt at the time. So, but that's about culture. Yeah, that's yeah. about culture. That's that's about if a club operates like that all the way through, then that yeah. club really should turn around and look at the professionalism of its standards, right? For them. It actually might work brilliantly in the sense that actually it gets things done A and B, C, D, all done. Every one of those letters ticked off and it's gone. Then there are other clubs that actually whose culture absolutely is built in tablets of stone and, and it's driven and directed by a significant person inside of the football club, like under the great Sir Alex Ferguson, if you like, over at Manchester United, who everybody knows about what they did at Man United. And if I, if I might say, Jim Castle, my old boss at Manchester City Football Club, who believed in people, yeah, and who sure. believed that this should be done properly, yeah, plain yeah. and simple. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't delivered by text, and it isn't delivered by letter. Everything was done in front of faces. Yeah, yeah. Just another point I heard but I mean like I say I have to be careful because I'm not going to name names or anything like that but I've heard rumours and I've seen sort of <clears throat> uh, read certain things and spoke to different people about payments to parents in relation to if they're interested in a 12 13 year old you know we can get you this and we can get you that is that ethically correct, or is that pra- does that practice exist, Pete? Do you know anything that's happened in relation to that? I think or? the best way that I can answer that, Alan, is to turn around to you and say I've heard loads of stories. Yeah, sure. Um, as you can well accept and appreciate, I can't mm-hmm. uh, go into the details of that. I don't think that would be ethically right of me to actually do that. Um, the, more, the more professional you make a game and the more... Um, sorry not a game a business the more professional you make a business and the more uh, how can I put it 
the game becomes dog eat dog, sure, so to yeah. speak, where clubs are bartering for the same players in the same marketplace, mm. which isn't getting bigger, Alan, is getting smaller yeah. by virtue of the fact that clubs are putting loads of people out there to bring young players in. You're going to have a situation where clubs go, get me that player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if, if, with all due respect, if authorities think that isn't going to happen, then they are living on a different planet to me. Yeah. Yeah. And people that I know as well. Because that will happen. That is unethical. Mm. There is no question about that. Players aren't allowed to have agents mm. before 16 years of age. Yeah, yeah. And yet we know that intermediaries and agents are droved around football clubs mm. watching games at 12 and 13 and goodness knows what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've had parents come on to me with their sons at 13 and 14 and say, could I have some advice about an agent or an intermediary? Yeah. And when you tell them they're not allowed to have such, mm. they're quite surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't know those rules. Sure. Because they believe that unless they get an intermediary or an agent, their son is, um, shall we say, not having the same opportunities in football yeah. than somebody else's son who's got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understandable, Pete, understandable. Uh, a good thing, sort of, uh, uh, that I've heard alongside the playing side in, in football academies is, is quite a few clubs provide like an education for youngsters, which is, you know, a, a positive aspect. So, what I'd like you to, to ask you now is, do you think that the education side, first of all, is really important? And secondly, do youngsters buy into the education side because they're so obsessed with becoming footballers? Have you come across any issues in, in sort of schools or colleges where youngsters have kind of not been turning up or not been doing what they're expected of them and things like that? Any, any, any insight of that sort of area, please? Yeah, so let's deal with the first bit first. The mandatory side of, uh, of, of uh, youth development processes now, if you like, the Elite Player Performance Programme, is that every club has to have a concentration towards a player's educational development. Now, there are two sides to that, if you like, really watering it down. First is the side where a player is still a schoolboy footballer. So, in other words, 9 to 16 years of age. Um, at the very top level now, you know, the um, full-time education, what they call the full-time de- education development programmes inside the big clubs, where clubs are allowed to take players out of school and run a coaching programme alongside their educational development. So my old, fo- my old football club, Manchester City, for example, have an education programme with a local and um, private education sure, yeah. um, developer, or, or yeah. provider rather, in a school. Yeah. And players come in from, I think it's thir- 12 or 13 years of age now, and there you have, if you like, what's called a hybrid programme where education runs alongside coaching development on a daily basis. Yeah. Okay? Um, so... Clubs have to concentrate and ensure that a child, um, which is what they are, is maintaining their educational development. Sure. When a player leaves school and he comes in on the scholarship programme, and in your days it was called an apprenticeship, yeah. all right? yeah. so we now use the phrase scholarship, um, but it's still at the same age levels, 16 through to 18, so you commence your scholarship, as you well know, on leaving school, and the contracts generally start, I think, officially on the 31st of July of his 16th year. Right. And will end on something like the, let me guess right now, 30th of July. And yeah. that date is yeah. probably not right, yeah. of his under-18s year. Yeah. Okay, He still has to have a mandatory education programme mm. in his scholarship. Right, yes. Right? Yes. And yeah. that must lead 
to an academic qualification. Right, yeah. In addition to that, if a player leaves school and he hasn't achieved maths and um, maths and English O level, English grade C GCS, GCSE, yeah. he must do additional English and maths. Mm -hmm. That's a government regulation, mm -hmm. right? Or yes. if you like, Department of Education regulation. So he has to do that also. Yeah. That's also applicable to continental players that come sure, in because yeah. they're now under the rules of the Department of Education when they enter our country. They're not under their own rules and those of their own country. They have to observe two hours. So this continuous education thing, in some ways, does two things before I answer your second question, is that what it does is it ensures that a player has to continue getting uh, academic qualifications should his first football choice, his first career choice of football not proceed yeah. at whatever age that might be. And second thing is it, it ensures that actually his mind is still in learning mm. because as a young player, he is learning. Yeah. He is learning on the training ground on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Now, to answer your third question, sorry, your second question, are there issues in terms of, um, if you like, players' mindsets towards wanting to do education? Yes, of course there is. And there will be because the more emphasis you place on football, the more high profile you make that football emphasis. The, um, how can I put it? We're Joe Blog Rovers, we buy them all of this, we stick them on these coaches, they go all over the place, they do X number of hours coaching per week, whatever. It is natural that a young person is going to be unbelievably influenced by an environment where he is at. Yeah. It is up to the culture of that environment to ensure that the grounded nature of what they're trying to, trying to deliver to that young mindset influences that mindset in such a way that they are saying to him, your education to us is as important to us as your football is to sure, us. Yeah, yeah. And if I might take the words of um, uh, my very first manager that I ever worked under, and that was Joe Royal at Oldham Athletic, who I have great, great respect for. Mm -hmm. He once said to me, if you can, bring educated players. And he didn't necessarily mean academically gifted educated players. He meant players who wanted to learn. Yeah, yeah. Because it demonstrated an ability to want to pick up information. I'm sure, yeah. So in, in sort of like, obviously, you go into this education programme at 16 <coughs> and into an academy, if you're lucky enough, be to get full, a full-time sort of scholarship. If a player signs a pro deal at 17, do they still keep their education going? Is that a requirement? Yes. Or can, do they, is, does that, do they withdraw out no, of it? No, it's a mandatory requirement that they have to complete their education. Even though which, they've got a pro? Yes, yeah, yeah. which, generally speaking, will finish at 18 years of age sure, yeah, yeah. but if he or his parents wanted to continue a further con uh, con yeah. another development towards their education whether it be I don't know a uh, part-time university degree or an open university degree or whatever that might be the club has to continue that to my knowledge until the player finishes his under 21's year mm -hmm. because academy football takes that takes care of all players yeah. up to the age of under 21. Right, okay, great stuff, Pete. So ne next question I'd like to ask, Pete, is, is that what worry? If I could just touch back on this sort of deselection yeah. uh, issue again, and, and I think part of my development and my education has kind of been sort of, you know, grounded or, or I've, I've been really interested in that sports psychology side. Yeah. What concerns me at the moment, I never, never ever seem to get any of these figures or they, they don't seem to be... Uh, readily available and that is the amount of lads who are getting released at certain age groups yeah. and whether 
we feel as though there's little mental health issues creeping in from 10, 11, 12, 13, right through to 19 years old and having to suffer. And any thoughts on that, Pete? Yeah, a lot of thoughts on that, if I'm honest, Alan. But once again, two different questions, if you don't mind me saying. One can come from the other, if you like. The mental health thing, if you like, I'm going to deal with the latter. In terms of deselection, you are bound to have now bigger figures than ever before. I think for two reasons. Firstly, because the progression rate to first team status, if you like, is so harder than it's ever been before. Let's not mince words here. The technical ability of players has gone through the roof. It is that high now. The standard at Premier League level is phenomenally high. It's fantastically high. And so a player has to be able to push out um, a really well-known player in the first team and demonstrate to the first team manager that actually he's a better option to take the number seven shirt than the one that's played three and four hundred league games who might be the captain of the club by the way right and he has to dispel him and get rid of him and demonstrate i can do that job Mm -hmm. so that's the first thing um the second reason why the figures will be higher now is because clubs can are legitimately allowed to have more boys per age group than they've ever been able to register yeah yeah those boys can't all progress and play inside of that club. They don't even represent the club every weekend in, in organised fixtures. Yeah. And yet, my knowledge, if I'm, think, I'm right in saying this, they still can't play Category C football, which is, if you like, Sunday League football, as yeah, we used yeah. to call it. Sure, so yeah. where do they play their games, yeah, apart yeah. from school football? Yeah. Now, in terms of your second question, uh, mental health, etc. As we all know now, mental health has become a big thing in life. It's the mm-hmm. buzz phrase, if you like. And, and not in a nice way. And quite rightly, life has picked up on the fact that this is now a thing. Mm. So you've had players, if you like, demonstrate and come out and openly turn around and said, I've got anxiety issues, mm. de- I've had depression issues, yeah. um, I suffer depression issues or whatever. That doesn't make them weak people. Actually, that makes them unbelievably strong people. Because yeah. they're doing not just themselves a favour, excuse me, saying it like that. Yeah. But they're doing the game and an immen- immense service by saying the game is not helping me because of. Yeah, okay? Yeah. Now, if you take older players, older players via an organisation like Sporting Chance, okay? Yeah. Set up by Tony Adams when yeah. he had his issues. Sure. And I listened to a Tony Adams podcast only from last week, which I thought was outstanding. Yeah. And, which he talks about that and he said it up for those reasons. Mm. Um, the reasons that and I've listened to the staff from Sporting Chance saying that um, professional players, if you like, established professional players have issues based around uh, gambling, addictions, yeah, yeah. drink, yeah. etc. Yeah. Generally speaking, those are not issues that young players mm. deal with. Mm. Now, they might be issues that some young players deal with, but they aren't. So what are the issues that create mental health problems in young players? Mm. So you have issues like over-aspirational expectations of staff inside of football clubs. Mm. Some of which, if you like, um, can't handle their own emotions and see the loss of a game as the loss of their game and not the loss of a player's game. Yeah, yeah. And therefore put pressure on, enormous pressure on players, yeah. which I know happens. Sure, yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. Um, or players themselves who can't handle the fact that actually they're not doing so well at that moment in time in training sessions or in games yeah. because they're human. And the one thing yeah. about human beings is that we're all fallible no matter what age sure, we are. Sure. So 
there's going to be issues which are not just based around deselection, if you if you like, Alan. Yeah. But there is bound to be issues mm. that a young player goes through. He's been let go from Joe Blogs Rovers. It's a stigma. Yeah, yeah. He has to go back and face his chumleys. Of course, yeah. At weekends or yeah. whatever, or every or at night time when he's been inside of a professional club and his mates haven't been. That's yeah. a difficult thing yeah, yeah. for a young kid to have to deal with. I think another one there, Pete, just to add to that as well, is, is like from personal experience. I, I always found sometimes that the communication between coaches to young players could sometimes be a bit confusing. Absolutely. I, th- I think you touched on it earlier yeah, in the podcast about a coach could say to you, brilliant, you've done really well, and then a couple of weeks later it's like you're left out or you, well, you're deselected or, uh, you know, you, it's a, a bit concerning. A, 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 young, a young 14-year-old boy who was told at a parent's evening that actually by two coaches that he was doing everything that was expected of him okay Mm -hmm. this is uh, a really good father that um, spoke to me shall we say Um, and this was not a father how may I put this so let me just build this in because this is important for people to understand this this was not a father that actually (coughs) saw his failed career as people always say Mm. through his son's eyes this was a loving father who Mm. cared about his kid plain and simple and he's got every right to express these perspectives and even if people don't like them he's still got a right to express them because they're his kid and he was this boy was told you're doing everything that's um, expected of you you're meeting the standard three months later he was released from the football club not a single thing was said to him between Mm. that parents evening and the time at the end of the season when he's no longer doing well enough Now, if he isn't doing that that good after that parents' evening, why have the, those staff and that club not discussed it and set up how they're going to deal with it with that young mindset? Yeah, he sure. was devastated. Yeah, yeah. See, I, th- I think in the Premier League, I don't know, I mean, this is just surmising, but I'm guessing, I'd, I'd hope to think that a lot of elite-level clubs have almost performance metrics that they can draw from where they say to a young player you're not running as much your passing's lower percentage than it should be you're not winning the ball as much etc etc so at least when the deselection or if the deselection takes place they've got something to draw from what worries me Pete is as you go down the leagues into your league one league two they don't draw off things like that so it almost becomes a an, an opinion again to say to somebody we're not taking you into the under six we're not giving you apprenticeship what is the reasons for that I hear a lot of junk to be honest with you about you're a yard slow or you're not getting involved as you as much as you should do well show me evidence because as a young player I'm hoping sooner or later that the question might come from a parent on that on that and, I, and I'd like to think that as deselections get more and more because the amount of players in the game that Football clubs can draw off that and say, yeah, this is the reasons why. If you can show me something evidence, I can get it. If you've not got that, it becomes confusing to me because you just listen to a coach's view about it. Well, you sat in front of me, Alan, and you can see me smiling as you're you're making that particular comment and and, and asking things in there. And I'm smiling in some ways cynically because... Originally, if you like, things like heart rate monitors and stuff like that crept in... <coughs> Excuse me. Into all professional sports, and as we as we sit here now, we're watching, you know, cyclists yeah. go around, and there's nothing more professional in many ways than yeah. than cycling as it is now. And performance metrics at at certain stages are always going to be very very important. There's no question about that. But we know physically that young boys mature 
slower than girls. We know that. Yeah, yeah. We absolutely know that. And I can, you know, I'm just thinking back now as you were talking, like, here we are in Manchester, and in my opinion, the best player that's ever played the game in the great George Best. Yeah. You know, disappeared home from Manchester United because he couldn't handle from being away from home. Yeah, yeah. Somebody could turn around and say that's a performance metric, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he can't handle being away from home. Sure, yeah, yeah. And yet that club dealt with that and managed it yeah. accordingly and brought the, the player back in. Yeah, yeah. And the world was... Uh, the world of football got the great benefit of seeing the unbelievable talents of such a gifted player, a maverick, a real maverick person. And when we're tu potentially turning around and saying to, I don't know, 14-year-old kids or whatever, uh, he's a yard behind or this, yeah. that and the other, yeah. you know, I've got to turn around and say, the world's gone mad. Yeah, yeah. It's gone mad. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, to some degree, uh, size according to what position you're going to play and eventually becomes important like goalkeepers yeah. it's obvious that a goalkeeper has to be of a decent size to be able to play the game professionally and, and at, the, at the highest level that's obvious but outfield players have to be mobile they have to be quick they have to be able to turn quick off both sides of the body they have to be able to see things from both sides of the body depending upon what side of, part of the game you're playing in and here we are in Manchester, you know, the Manchester City are literally just mm. over the way there. And they've got the great David Silva playing, who's an unbelievably gifted player. He's not a big footballer. No, no. He's a small boy yeah, on, yeah. on the field, you know, and, and sometimes on, on a pitch of giants. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that actually there is a danger that we hide behind black and white figures uh, to turn around and say that Joe Bloggs isn't good enough mm. and Fred Smith, his, his, his mate, isn't good enough mm. and David Jones just down the road isn't good enough because they're half a yard slower than Fred Bloggs, yeah. his brother, which is in an age group above him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can I just ask you your thoughts, Pete, on this? And that is, do you think, or your opinion here, well, we'll just draw, draw an opinion from you, are players... Do coaches have an idea who's got half a chance of making it in a football club? Yes. And when do you think that happens? So we'll break this down. Do coaches know? When do they think they know? And in relation to equality and players believing that they've got an equal chance of getting professional contracts, are they, those being let down in a way? Because ultimately, you have to put an 11 out on a, on a field with like three or four subs or whatever it is these days, you know, even at academy level. So what I'd like to your view on this bit is when do clubs know that maybe two or three have got half a chance and the rest eight or nine are just filling in? All right. Going off my own experience <coughs> and going off the experience of the people I used to work with <coughs> who were about as talented as a group of people in football as I've ever known and perhaps even more talented than, than most, if you like. Um, if somebody's saying to me that they can look at a six and seven year old and say he's going to be a footballer with all due respect get yourself put in a lamp and call yourself genie <laughs> yeah. because that's absolute rubbish yeah. if you're saying at 10 and 12 years of age you can see that that boy's going to be a footballer and play in the first team get yourself put in the same lamp and call yourself genie too because it is yeah. not going to happen yeah. right there are too many variables standing in that way, in that boy's way, like his growth, mm -hmm. um, whether he does become quick enough, whether his skill sets develop, yeah. if, if he develops a hard work ethic, mm -hmm. which is more important than talent eventually, yeah. so he doesn't rely on his talent, so he uses his hard work to develop his, his talent line, if you like. But when players now become apprentices, mm -hmm. Because they're in on a full-time full basis, in other words, at the football club every single day of the week, what you're now starting to see are 
their abilities to handle pressure, their abilities to make decisions under pressure, their progress levels when it's not quite very easy for them, things aren't quite right, sure. they're not playing great, they're struggling on the training ground or whatever that might be, and yet they're still coming through the processes. <clears throat> and then they disappear at the end of the first, their first year and they come back after, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks of break and they've, they've had a little stretch, they've grown yeah, an inch yeah, yeah. and they picked up a yard mm. on top of this great talent that they've got and yeah, yeah. this wonderful work rate, yeah. work rate that they've got. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, Alan. <clears throat> what you're now getting is a real clear sign in front of your face that actually the players that are above them in the pecking order, yeah. they're not quite there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've reached that level. Yeah. So I don't think you can honestly turn around and say until a player becomes an apprentice that he's got a really good chance of being a first team player. Yeah, yeah. Because there are so many players on the motorway in front of him. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. So it's always that, it's just somebody so I, was, I was speaking to him in the game, like ex-player, and he, and he almost had admitted that, in a way, you've got three or four lads who've got a reasonable chance of doing something, and then the rest are kind of just, you know, being selected almost to sort of get a team out on a Saturday or a Tuesday night. Or, and I, and I, well, thought that, I thought that was really sad to hear that. It is, it is sad to hear in many ways. I mean, he, you know, his perspective would be that I'm being honest with you and actually saying what I believe to be right. Yeah. But in the words of somebody you know, I've worked with in the past, he turned around, he was a very high-profile man and, and uh, worked at first team level. He, he actually turned around and said, listen, don't discount ugly ducklings. Yeah, yeah. Because the ugly duckling will come through sometimes. Sure, yeah. And he yeah. went on to say something like, you know, he might swim at the back of the pack now, yeah. but if you give him time, he might be swimming at the front before yeah, long. Definitely. Ugly ducklings do come through. Yeah. Excuse the phrase that I'm no, using. No, it's, no, it's a, fine, it's a yeah. respectful way of actually saying it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so there are players. That, the, the really difficult area, Alan, to judge is this middle band area, if yeah. you like. These boys that actually, at this moment in time, are not in that um, that top section. And if you don't mind me saying, you've used a word that gets used in football all the time, elite. Mm. That yeah. drives me mad, that. Yeah, yeah. There aren't any elite players mm. who are, are schoolboy players. Yeah. There are players with exceptional talent. Yeah. There are some players with more talent than others. Mm. And there are some players with unbelievable talent, but because they can't learn properly mm. in a football sense, they don't develop. Yeah, sure. So yeah. We, we really need to stop using this phrase, mm. they're in the top elite yeah. of, of, of a club or they're in the top 20 elite players in this country. It's yeah, absolute yeah. garbage. It, it, it does me, I didn't Pete, when you hear like elite squad <clears> under 13s <throat> and rubbish. all that. Yeah, elite, elite, elite development <clears throat> squad under 12s and all that. It's mad, but, isn't it? But what you're doing is you're sending a message to a young player that he is mm -hmm. in the top 20 in that country. Mm -hmm. What we should be saying to that young player is, you've been given a gift. Yeah. I think that what we need to do with your gift now so that you understand this, is develop this really hard work ethic. Yeah. This is what a hard work ethic is. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason why we develop it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right, Pete. So last, last couple of questions, Peter. <coughs> First one I'd like to ask you is, in your view, how do you think academies can be improved going forwards from now on? Or are they, are they doing what they say on the tin? Or is, is it, I mean, there's always, I suppose, elements that you can progress something, but what, what do you feel academies could do to get even better at what they do? You know, I could always answer this by giving you hard luck stories or, or um, negatives that, you know, people come on to me and ask advice about, etc. And I'm, I'm not going to do that with all due respect. I think that um, if you want to have um, the, best, the best system in order where your players can develop, 
one you've got to have staff that are commensurate to the standard that you need so you've got to ensure that you either have the best staff or you upskill your staff to become the best staff sure, whether yeah. you like that or not yeah so there's continuous training there where that is concerned yeah. so there has to be a mindset that actually with what you know at the moment is not good enough because sooner or later you'll get faced with a player who actually you're struggling to, to develop because actually he's better than what your mindset is at that yeah. moment in time yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, then you've got to have uh, a culture that actually is all about development and is all about um, um, the philosophy of developing mm -hmm. before it's on about results yeah. culture precedes results sure. I've said that three or four times now and I believe that profoundly by the way so unless you've actually got that that's not going to help a club progress and you've just got to keep a tab on, on, the, on the development and the qualities of your staff because developing your staff is significantly more important than developing your players because your players aren't going to develop unless your staff develop. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, what would you like to see, Pete, going forwards in relation to player <coughs> support? This is a big question, this, and probably, for me, the biggest one of a lot. I think there's, there has to be an independent support process outside of... Um, outside of the governing bodies of the inside of this country mm. we have an organization uh, for professional players um, I have to be careful how I talk about this yeah. uh, who talked 12 months ago about putting in place uh, a review of their own processes mm -hmm. it's about 12 months ago we still wait for that process to happen yeah, with all yeah. due respect that's not right yeah. if you say you're going to do something you do it yeah. um, and football awaits that and is still mm. waiting for it yeah. I think that for football to really develop in this country we've got to have one governing body mm. we've got to have one governing body with the steel and the determination to, to join football at the seams mm. all the way through not just 20 Premier League clubs yeah. but join them to 72 the needs of 72 other clubs as well and I'm not just talking fiscally there, I'm talking about the whole process, if you like, making the right decisions. Yeah. But I, my, my big thing is that I want to see an independent, um, an independent body in place yeah. that, would, that is not influenced by professional football, but which is supported by professional football yeah, yeah. and is accepted by professional football as, as being in situ to do the right things for the game. Does that make any sense, yeah, Alan? Yeah, yeah, because it... I think at the moment, unfortunately, a lot of environments, a lot of cultures are quite closed. And if there's issues in there, they kind of like, <coughs> as, you know, as dealt, dealt with as, as much as you can in-house. In but unfortunately, through experience and through coming through the game, you sometimes are a bit timid to speak out if things are happening because you're fearful of losing your job. You don't want to be discriminated. You don't want to be cast aside. So I think I think that's one of the biggest issues. That, of, that we need to no look at, no yeah. question. One of the big ones is parents that go to people mm. and don't want sometimes don't want to go to their own clubs and open up about the concerns that they have. By sure, the way, yeah, yeah. and the reason being is because in doing so, they may be seen or labelled inside of that club as being a trouble causer, yeah. and therefore their sons. Um, place inside of that club comes into jeopardy yeah. but there also if you don't mind me saying and this I've discussed with the, with the Football Association they have a big safeguarding department but the only things that they investigate are safeguarding issues and of course yeah. that's really important yeah. but of all the other issues that parents bring into clubs and to, the, to, to Premier League clubs or whatever they are not safeguarding issues and they, know, they don't get investigated mm -hmm. so they get pushed into the long grass yeah. 
And so parents don't feel like they've got a voice, and they do have a voice because without parents, by the way, professional clubs don't get kids. Yeah, it's spot on, Pete, isn't it? It's absolutely right. So I'd just like to say thank you so much, Pete, for coming in and sharing Welcome, your Alan. time on, on the I Can't Explain podcast. It's been a, an absolute privilege and, and delight to, to tap into your knowledge about.